growing in God's Word, and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. In a great church, there is an anticipation of a coming. There is a focus on community. There is a priority on a heavenly connection. When you were in school, if you brought home a C on your report card, would your parents be happy? Probably not. But for a church, making straight C's would be great. Obviously, that means what we're looking at are subjects that ought to be characteristics of the church. They each start with the letter C. Hello again and welcome to Crosswalk. We're in a series entitled, Making the Grade as a Great Church. And Pastor Clay is taking us through the first chapters of the book of Acts to discover what the first century church had that made for a great church. We're looking at characteristics that each begin with the letter C that were evident in the early church. So if the church today can get straight C's, we will be a great church. A church used by God to build His kingdom by growing fully devoted followers of Jesus. Now, here's Pastor Clay with today's message. We're in school, and we're aiming at getting straight C's as a church. Obviously, that means what we're looking at are subjects uh, dealing with it that ought to be characteristics of the church uh, where we want to get a C in. Or in other words, they, they each start with the letter C. We've been now, a couple of weeks is now our third week looking at uh, some of these uh, subjects, if you will. And in, uh, we're working in Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2. If you brought a copy of God's Word, you can open there this morning. The text will be up on the screen as well. I am uh, returning to an area of the passage where I've been for the last two weeks. And so since I've read it the last two weeks, this week I'll read it as we go. And I'm going to start uh, with this. I'm going to share hopefully three C's this morning, three areas where we ought to make a C. And the first one... Uh, looks like this. In a great church, there is an anticipation of a coming. All right, let me, <laughs> let me read it. Y'all all right? Come on. And after he had said these things, as Jesus speaking, he's just about to go back to heaven. He's been with the disciples now uh, for a significant amount of time after the, after the cross and the empty tomb. He's, come, he's risen. And after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. And they also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven." In a great church, there is an anticipation of a coming. Now, wait a minute. Those of you who were here last week and are sharp-minded, didn't we cover that one last week? Didn't we cover that C last week? Why, yes, I, I believe we did. Well then, well, then why are we going over that one again? Well, there is this uh, story of a rather famous uh, Methodist evangelist by the name of John Wesley. John Wesley was invited to preach at a church one time. I mean, obviously that many times, but he was invited to a particular church. He went to that church, and his first uh, message, first uh, service that he was there was on a Sunday morning. And John Wesley stood before the people, and he said, uh, My topic this morning is, you must be born again. Well, it was 18th century, so he probably said, ye must be born again. And he launches into uh, the need for salvation and how a person comes into a relationship uh, with Jesus Christ, how they can be saved and what the consequences are if a person's not saved. I mean, he just launches into this full bore uh, salvation message. 
The service went great and it was over. And that evening the church came back together and uh, John Wesley stood up before the people to preach. And he said, my topic this evening is ye must be born again. And he launches into the exact same message that he had just preached that morning. He goes at it just as hard and preaches and all that kind of stuff. The next day, the next service, whether it was at lunchtime, they sometimes would have uh, services during the day or that evening. Uh, John Wesley stands up to, to preach and he says, My topic for this evening is, ye must be born again. And he launches into the exact same message again. After the service, uh, one of the leaders of the church comes up and he says, uh, Brother Wesley, we appreciate so much your, your enthusiasm and, and your, your fervor, but, but Brother Wesley, why do you keep preaching, ye must be born again? To which uh, John Wesley uh, supposedly responded, Because, my dear brother, ye must be born again. In other words, at least in that particular instance, in that particular church, as sensing leadership of the Spirit, John Wesley felt that there was no need to move on to some other subject matter until we had this one down and, and, and solidified within the body of that church. So perhaps there's a bit of John Wesley in me this morning. Because just the fact that we talked about the coming of Jesus Christ for the second of his second coming, just the fact that we talked about it last week, does not mean that we should not address that issue again this week. Because I believe it is a subject matter that is ignored far too much in our individual lives and in the lives of churches in general. That Jesus Christ is coming back. And as I said last week, it is or it should be the, certainly one of the great motivational factors of the church that Christ said I'm coming back that the angel said to the disciples there ye men of Galilee why do you stand here looking into the heavens the same Jesus whom you've seen go shall return again in like manner and as I said last week these guys as they stand there staring up into heaven and as these two angels show up and and basically say to them didn't he give you a job to do Go do it. And as I said last week, they went down off of that hill and they changed the world. Without any means of modern communication, without social media, without cars, without trains, without planes, without any of the things that we think we can't live without, they went out and changed the world with the gospel message. Within a few decades, they took the, the, the message of Jesus Christ to much of the known world. And I, and I want to approach this question that I asked last week. Why? Why would they do that? Knowing, knowing ahead of time, right? If, if you know the, the historical context, knowing ahead of time that it was going to cost virtually every single one of them their, their, their possessions, in some cases their families, and in most cases their very lives. Why would they do that? I believe there's one obvious answer. Jesus was coming back and they believed it. They believed he was coming back. Because that's what he said. That's what the angel said. He had said it. That's, that's what the word of God confirmed. And they went and changed the world. They wanted to make an impact for however long they were there. And they wanted Jesus, when he returned, they wanted Jesus to find them busy about his kingdom work. Again, I am uh, from Redneck Capital of the World. And I, I did grow up. My dad was a dairyman. I grew up on a dairy farm. And uh, in South Florida, and in South Florida, uh, we get them up here too, but not like down there. Uh, we, in South Florida, we get these things called uh, thistles. 
And because of the heat and the sunshine and the amount of rain, uh, thistles grow uh, quickly. They grow, uh, there's numerous ones, and, and they will get, they'll get huge, gigantic. And the thistles were poisonous to the cows. If the cows ate them, uh, it would make them sick. And so the thistles had to be removed from the fields, from the pastures. Well, you couldn't just mow over them because if, if any of y'all know what thistles are, you know what I'm talking about? We got like a baby ones here, but you know what I'm talking about? Well, it, you couldn't just mow over them because thistles have these little white, like uh, puffy things, right? On them. And, and, if, and if you run them over, then those things just go everywhere and you would end up actually making it worse. You would just spread the thistles more. They would cover more and more of the field. So you couldn't just mow over them. Uh, you probably could, could spray something on them, but... In my dad's case, either that would, although that costs too much, or that wouldn't be healthy for the cows. I don't know what the reason was. Because in my dad's world, uh, those thistles had to be, uh, each and every one of them had to be removed by hand with a hoe. Y'all know a hoe. <laughs> Clarifying that there. My dad had a thousand acres. That had to be cleared of thistles. And there was no sense in paying anybody. When you had three strong strapping sons. To do the work. I can remember my dad would drop us off. Like way out in the middle of nowhere. This field. Right? Early in the morning. My dad would drop us all out. All three of us. Pile out of the truck. With our hose in hand. And uh, my dad was a man of few words. But he'd, and he'd say. Be back to get you at lunch. <laughs> Drive off. Watch him just disappear off in the distance, heading back to civilization. And uh, so there we are, hoe in hand and thistles as far as the eye can see. And it was, y'all ever been to Florida in the summer, like South Florida? Hot, it's hot and muggy and steamy and yeah, Right? And, and so, but there you are. You got, you got to, you got to hold them out. You got to hold them out and pull them out and one it up, just one it up as far as you can just keep, keep going as far as you can go. And, you know, I know it's probably hard to believe, but being three brothers, we would sometimes get to goofing off. We would uh, get to, you know, hoe a thistle out and maybe sling it at your brother over there who's a few yards away or, or uh, carefully pick up a cow patty and sling it over there at him. And we'd get goofing off or, Quite honestly, it, it, it's hot and it's, you know, it's just so many of them, it almost seems overwhelming, you know what I'm saying? It's just like, oh my goodness, daddy, seriously? Get up off that checkbook, hire somebody. <laughs> but, and, and, and quite honestly, it would be easy to become lazy and just, just kind of, uh, yeah, yeah, here and there. One thing was for sure, when my dad showed up, when you saw that, that red 68 Ford F-100 in the, in the distance, you better be leaning into that hoe and not leaning on that hoe. You know what I'm saying? You better be, you better be anticipating his return and hard at work when he got there. I just wonder in our lives as followers of Jesus Christ, in, in our walk with him and in, in our service to him, are we leaning into the hoe or are we leaning on the hoe? I, I just thought it's a question to ask. I just thought I'd bring that up. 
Did you know that uh, in the customs of, of Jewish, at least certainly ancient Jewish weddings, did you know that when uh, a couple became engaged, what we would call engaged, in their culture it was they became betrothed, maybe you've heard that term before, uh, it's similar to our engagement, but it was, it was much more serious. It, it was legally binding. And when a couple became betrothed, there would be a ceremony, a service, much like the wedding ceremony itself. But they would have a ceremony. And, uh, but the difference was at the end of the betrothal ceremony, the, the bride-to-be would go back and live with her parents. And the bridegroom would go and uh, begin to work on their home, building a, a home for them. And, and, he, and this was the deal. This was just part of the custom. When he finished the home, at whatever time it was, whatever day it was, morning, evening, middle of the night, whenever it was, the bridegroom would suddenly appear. He would return and he would, he would come to get his bride without, allow, without her knowing when he was coming. There was no forewarning. He would just show up and there would be a big celebration and the wedding, you know, all this kind of stuff would, would happen kind of spontaneously from her perspective because she didn't know anything about it it was the bride listen to me it was the bride's responsibility to be anticipating her bridegroom coming now that gives a whole new meaning to jesus words when he said in uh, john uh, chapter 14 i go to prepare a place for you and if i go to prepare a place for you i will come again and receive you unto myself that where i am there you may be also that is what is is in front of us, folks. So are we anticipating that? Are we looking for that every morning, every day? Do, do we say, God, is this the day? Is this the day that either you're going to call me home or Jesus is coming back? Whatever the case may be. Father God, may I be leaning into the hoe of, of what you're called me to do in this, in this life and in this kingdom and not leaning on the hoe. May I be moving forward. It is, it's a, th- that's a characteristic of a great church. Let me, let me put it this way. In individual lives, I think I brought it up on the screen. It looks like this, a person that is looking for the return of Christ is a person that is living for Christ. I guarantee you. Because it's like, all right, today he might be coming back today. I, I want to find him busy. I want to be honoring him with my life. And since the church is made up of persons, of people, therefore, then it makes sense that a church that is looking for the return of Christ is a church that is living for Christ. That's a great church, ladies and gentlemen. I don't know if we're there yet. I don't know if that's where we are or not. I want us to be, but I know that you and I have to be anticipating the return of Jesus Christ in our individual lives every day. And it will motivate us to live life differently, to look at people differently, to, to act towards them in a different way, to be thinking intentionally about how can, I, how can I speak a word into this person's life? How can I in some way affect them? It's, maybe it's my actions. Maybe it's my words. Maybe it's an invite card that I'm going to give to them. Maybe it's a testimony that I can share with them at lunchtime. Whatever the case may be, that's a characteristic of a great church. There's an anticipation of a coming. Let me give you a second area where we uh, need to make a see in, and that is this. In a great church... Uh, there is a focus on community. Uh, look at what he says in uh, verse 13 in the first part of verse uh, 14. Y'all all right? You falling asleep yet? If you were asleep, you wouldn't have heard that anyway. So, When they had entered the city, watch this. When they, had, when they had entered the city, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. That is Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. And on down, it talks about the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, all of those. Verse 14, these all with one, what? These all with one mind 
one single focus, one single desire, and that is, that is this idea of community. Yes, in this case, initially, they're all, they're all Jewish people, and so they have that in common, but it's a pretty diverse group already, and it's going to get a lot more diverse in a hurry. But you've got, you've got Peter the hothead, and you've got John the, the, the disciple of love and peace, Right? You got Thomas the doubter, well, and you've got you've got Judas the the zealot, the rebel, right? You've got Matthew the former wealthy tax collector, and you've got Mary from this little country bumpkin town of Nazareth. It, it's a diverse group of people, and sure, they've all got their own personalities and their own peculiarities. All those other people, right? We're, we're the only normal, I tell you. Sure, they've got, and they've got their differences in ideas and ideas and, and opinions about stuff and what, what kind of song they ought to sing today or whatever. That, sure, they've got all that stuff, but all of it was overridden by this one overarching principle. One community, one group of people, one single-minded focus, and that is to glorify God, to make His name famous, and to live in a way that will honor Him. So that all of, the, all of that stuff was overcome. Right? Did they like each other all the time? Probably not. Did they get on each other's nerves from time to time? Yeah. But, but there was this symmetry to the, to the motion of the early church that moved together in one accord in this idea that, that we're going to get this thing done for the glory of God. That's a characteristic of a great church. There is, there is this community, this moving together as one. I was thinking, when I was working on this message, I was thinking about a uh, great film, a couple of great films that came out in the uh, early and mid-80s. Uh, how many of y'all remember The Man from Snowy River? Y'all remember The Man from Snowy River? Great. I watched a few of the clips uh, this week while I was working on this sermon. I was trying to find the one clip, but I, but I couldn't find it. But in, in the movie The Man from Snowy River, and if you've never seen them, they really are very well-done films. But uh, in, in the film The Man from Snowy River, there's this scene, there's this one scene where all of these horses are uh, running together and they're running through this, through this river. And the, the, the director or the producer or whatever, they, they slow it down in slow motion. They're showing uh, and the music just ties into it beautifully and there's, you know, water's like splashing up. And, and, and it's, just, it's just this beautiful picture of this unity in, in, this, in this grouping of horses that are moving. And, and when it would pan back at times, you would see the, the leader of, of, the, of the group of horses might change direction, but the, but the whole, whole group would change in perfect, perfect symmetry and unity, where if they turned to the left or turned to the right or, or whatever they would do, it was always together. It was always together. And, it, and it's, just, it's just beautiful when you see it in the film. And I was thinking, man, what an awesome picture of the church. What a, what a beautiful painting, really, of what the church can and should be, the moving in perfect unity. Despite, and if you look at those horses, all the, the horses look differently, uh, different ages, and I'm sure they had you know, different backgrounds and different breeding and all that kind of stuff, but they were moving as one. We as a church, when we move as one with this single focus of community, folks, my goodness, how it honors and glorifies God and how it allows us to be in position for the power of God to flow in our lives. In, uh, in the book of, of uh, Psalms, in Psalm uh, 133, it says, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. Community, togetherness, one mind, one focus. Uh, Jesus, in his prayer to the, to the Father uh, in uh, John chapter 17, I am in them and you are in me. 
may they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. What is, what is the implication of what Jesus has just said there? That it is within the unity of the body of Christ that those outside the body of Christ will actually come to see and understand and believe in Jesus Christ because they see this group of people from all different walks of life, all different socioeconomic backgrounds, educational backgrounds, age backgrounds, uh, different skin color, different, whatever the case may be, men, women, all this different kind of stuff. When they see them coming together, because it is such a rare thing to see in the world, when they see them come together and operate for, with a single focus, it moves, it moves people, it impacts their lives. When they see that, it's like, wow. That's not how it is in, 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 in uh, my work environment. It's not how it is in, in, in my home. Um, in First uh, Corinthians chapter 1. Now I exhort you, brother. And Paul said, listen, the church in Corinth had all kinds of problems, right? They, 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 again, they weren't, none of us are perfect. That church wasn't perfect. And they had their issues. Now I exhort you, brother, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and that there be no divisions among you but that you be made complete in the same mind, there it is, and in the same judgment, you're moving in the same direction. For I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you. It's probably not the Kardashian family, but it's some Chloe, and she's, and she's blowing the whistle. And I want to think that her motives were pure, that she's not just tattletaling, or, that, that it's breaking her heart, that, she, that the body is in disunity. And, and Paul says, man, brothers, sisters, I... I I'm hearing that there's actually there's quarreling among you. There's no place for it in the body of Christ. There's no place for it. In uh, Ephesians uh, chapter 4, uh, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. So here, you've got to walk. Since you've been redeemed, since God has paid this price for you, then you've got to walk in a manner that's worthy of that. And what does that entail? With all humility and gentleness, with patience. Now, can I just tell you this? Those three just those three applications would, will radically change our homes, our marriages, and our church, churches. If, we, if, we just, if I'm going to walk in humility, it's not about me. I just humble myself in gentleness of spirit and not... What do you mean Tyler blew it on that slide? <laughs> no, he, he, Tyler, never, Tyler, never, <laughs> Tyler never blows it on the slide. Um, humility and gentleness with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. Being diligent to preserve the what? The unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit. Just as also you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all. That is a unifying statement. You think this is a big deal to God? I mean, that's just a few verses. I think this is, a big, this is a big deal to God. How tragic it is. Not here. Never experienced it here at Cross Culture Church. Not that we're immune, but praise God. But not here. But how tragic it is that, that too, many, too often, too many churches have business meetings that look more like an a MMA match. There's no place for it in the body of Christ. There's no place for it. Uh, again, the Apostle Paul Colossians uh, chapter 3 says, Even more than all this, clothe yourselves in love. Love is what holds you all together in perfect unity. They weren't perfect. The individuals that made up the church weren't perfect. They weren't, they weren't 
uh, identical robots that all, uh, you know, agreed every time on, on every single issue or pra- practice or even on every single theological distinction. But they moved together as one. The first century church was able to accomplish their part of the task. And listen, the task given to the first century church is essentially the same task given to us. They accomplished it by moving together in unity. They had their moments, they had their squabbles, they had some things that came up, but, uh, but there was this overarching principle that we're moving in as one. There's unity in this, in this single focus. There's community here. Now, let me tell you something, and I'll move on to the last one. That can be hard anywhere in the world because we're, we have our sin nature and we are, it's easy to get in the flesh and want what I want when I want it and all that kind of stuff. We can all struggle with that. But I'm just telling you right now, that is particularly difficult it is particularly difficult. After pastoring for, for 20 years or so, I can tell you it's particularly different, difficult in an American culture where entitlement and individual liberty is the, seems to be the, the rule of the day. That it's all about what I'm entitled to. It's all about my individual personal liberties. And I'm just going to tell you, it, it, it does not sync up with the description of a follower of Jesus Christ in the New Testament. It doesn't. No, it, doesn't, it doesn't jive with that, with that description that we just read a moment ago from Ephesians chapter 4. Of humility and gentleness and patience with each other. And this whole idea. That is a characteristic of a great church. I, 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 think, I think we have that at cross culture. I think that's wonderful. And I hear that from people. But I think there can be more. I think there's always this idea that, that more. There's no place for disunity. There's no place for discord. There's no place for gossip or backbiting or any of those characteristics that would go with this discord and disunity. You know what I'm saying? There's no, there's no place to say, if, if I don't get my way, I'll, just, I'll, I'll go someplace else. It's not a picture of the body of Christ. The picture of the body of Christ is where Joe is able to say to me, hey, pastor, I, why, why are you doing, why did you start this? What, what's the idea behind that? And, and Joe hears what I say, say, and I hear what Joe says, and we talk about this, and we look at what Scripture says, and we come to an agreement. And maybe we agree to disagree, but, the, but we move forward for the glory of God. Do you understand? We move forward for the glory of God. Because that's, in the end, that's what matters. It doesn't matter whether I get my way or he gets his way. What matters is that God gets his way from his children submitted to him. Okay, real quickly. One more uh, idea this morning. In a great church, there is a priority, priority on a heavenly connection. There's your third C in class for today. Verse 14. Uh, these all with one mind. Just read, brought that up a moment ago. These all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer. Along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. All these with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer. A couple things. Notice, number one, it's all of them. It's not just a few of them. It's not just the, the quote-unquote, the special prayer warriors. It's not just the leadership. All of them, all of the body. And the second is, is, uh, idea is this, this idea of this heavenly connection, this focus on, on prayer, on this, this connection that I make. And that, that's essentially what prayer is. Or it's just what it should be. It's this heavenly connection between me and God. Yes, is God always with me? Yes. But, but whether, it's, whether it's just through the course of the day and, I, and I'm in, in conversation with God or whether it's, it's just time where I literally set aside and I, I, I get down on my knees and, I, and I'm just focusing. But it's, it's this idea of this, this connection between me and God. God wants that in our lives. Not because, 
he doesn't know anything about your lives. But because of our desire to connect to him, it is a demonstration of our faith in him and God is glorified in it. And when a body collectively is coming together and, and praying in unity, praying with single-mindedness, God, your kingdom come. It doesn't mean that you can't pray about this person who's struggling with this or that person you know is having surgery or, or this job that you need in your life. It doesn't mean you can't pray for those things. But there's this, above all of it, there's a single purpose. God, the, your glory, your honor, your kingdom. That's what we're praying for. God, your power come down and move in this place. God, you work and, and accomplish your purposes. A heavenly connection. Do you have it? Do we have it as a body? Is there single-mindedness, focus on, on prayer and lifting up the ministries of this church, the, the ministries that we're sponsoring from this church, uh, the, the evangelistic work that's going on all over the world? Are, is that, are we making that heavenly connection? I, I came across this story a number of years ago, and I'd forgotten about it, quite honestly, until I, I came back across it uh, this past week. But uh, this, I came across it several years ago, so I'm not exactly sure when the event occurred. But uh, there was a, a young man a, uh, from the United States, a missionary, who was serving in a country in Africa. And he was home on furlough, on, on vacation, or whatever you want to call it, home in his home church in Michigan. And he was preaching on the Sunday, on the Sunday that he was home, and he was, he was uh, bringing the message. And in the course of the message, he told them, he relayed this story to them, something that had happened to him uh, just, uh, you know, a few weeks previous or whenever the case was. And he said that uh, as part of his, pri- he, was a, he was a medical uh, missionary. He was a, a doctor. He was a medical missionary. And he worked out in the bush in very remote areas. And as part of his practice, he would uh, ride his bike uh, through the jungle to the closest nearby city of any significance. And it was a, it was a two-day trek. He would have to camp uh, in the jungle along the way and then ride on to the city. And then he would repeat that. He'd turn around and head back the other way, camp on the way, and then return to his station where he was uh, doing his ministry. And so he said uh, a number of weeks ago, he did that he, and he came to the city. And as he came into the city after spending a night in the jungle and then getting there to the town or wherever they arrived, to, uh, he, he had cash he, and he used that cash. He was going to buy medical equipment and, or medical supplies, drugs, whatever he needed. And then, as I said, start his trek back. But when he got there, there were two uh, guys there who had gotten in a fight. They were fighting. And one of the young men had been pretty severely hurt. And so this uh, medical missionary, this doctor, uh, treated his wounds. And while he was at it, he was talking to him about uh, Jesus Christ and a relationship with Christ and that sort of thing. He finished uh, doing that. He got his supplies and he headed out into the jungle, biked, uh, camped, returned to his station, uneventful. A few weeks later, uh, he did repeated the trip as he did, did all the time. And when he got to the city, he ran into the young man that he had treated several weeks before for his injuries. And this is what the young man said to him. He said, uh, me and my friends know that you carry money uh, with you and that you purchase drugs. And, and he says, when you were here last time, we were going to follow you into the jungle. When you stopped to camp, we were going to kill you and take your money and take your, your drugs. And he said it was, it was him and it was five other guys. He says, but he said, but when we got there, when we got to your camp that night, he said we were terrified by the 26 armed guards that you had all around you. And, and the guy said, the, the, this missionary said, when, when he told him this, he, he started laughing. He said, no, I can assure you, it's just me out there in the jungle. And, and the young man insisted, no. He said, we can't, every one of us. He said, we, 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 we couldn't 
not notice these 26 big guards. So he's, all right, so he's telling that story to his church in Michigan, right? As he's telling that story to the church, as he gets to that part in the story, as he's telling it to the church in Michigan, suddenly a man in the church stands up and he, and he says, Tom or Joe, whatever his name was, he says, wait a minute. He said, when did that happen? So what, what day did that happen? He told him the day and, uh, and, he, and he said, he, he said, Tom, I want to tell you something. He said, the, the day that that happened to you, that the night that it happened to you, it was morning here in the States. And he said, I was out playing golf. And he said, I felt, he said, I was about to putt. And he said, I just suddenly had this incredible uh, uh, sense that I needed to pray for you right then. And he said, it was so strong that, he said, I called other, member, other men in the church and asked them to meet me at the church to come that we needed to pray uh, for Tom right then. And then he said, as he's gathered there and he's standing up in front of all the people, he said, would, all, would the men who met me up there that day to pray, would you stand up? And the missionary, as he tells the story, he said he, 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 he paid no attention to who it was. He was too busy counting. 26 men had stood up that had met that day to pray for him. I do too, Steve. I do too. This heavenly connection, the power of prayer to connect to our God. Now, listen, when, at times when we might come together corporately, whether it's on Sunday morning or have a special prayer time or some prayer emphasis, that's wonderful. But I'm talking about even when we're not together, and we're a mobile church, it's much more difficult for us. But even when we're apart, but there's this single focus uh, imperative to, to make this heavenly connection to God and to cry out to God, God, your will be done. God, you do it. God, you use us. God, you do what you want to do among us. We're making this heavenly connection with you because we believe that you're the source of the power. You're the one that, that, that what you want to get done is all that matters in the end, God, not me, not my preferences, not my whatever, this God, it's about you. So God, we're making, we as a people are crying out to you and making this connection. God, may your power fall and may you do a great work that's a great church. If you have a uh, sermon outline with you, you'll notice at the bottom of it is a uh, list of days starting today, Sunday through next Saturday. And there's a blank in there. And I, I, listen, I don't give this to you to, to make some duty or some responsibility or, or some, you know, I got to check off my, to I got to pray. But I give it to you for self-examination and self-revelation. Maybe this week you might want to just, just jot down how many minutes or hours or whatever the case may be would you, do you spend in prayer with God today and then tomorrow and then Tuesday and Wednesday. Just, just for your own, you know, I'm, not, I'm not asking you to bring it back. It's not homework. I know it's school, but it's not homework. As far as bringing it, you don't got to bring it back next week. You don't got to turn it in. But maybe for your own self-examination, you might, might want to might look at it and say, wow, I spent three minutes in prayer today? Hey, and we've all been there, right? We've all been there. But I'm telling you, when we do that, we've got a three-minute relationship with God. That's, that's as far as this connection. That's, you know what I'm saying? So m- maybe you want to do that. Maybe you want to fill it out. I don't know. Just a way of, of saying, God, man, I... I, just, I know I'm not connected to you enough. I know I have a relationship with you, but, but there, there's not this connection to see your power flow in and through my life, Lord God, and the life of this body, this fellowship that is cross-culture church. But when we have it, when we have an anticipation of his coming, when we say, you know what, it's, it, we're one single focus, one single mind. It doesn't matter that... Clay is weird, man. He's just weird, but it doesn't matter because what matters is the glory of God and we're going to have one single focus. We make that heavenly connection. That's, that's, that's 
when we're a great church. Well, there you have it. Three more C's that the church should aim for. Looking and anticipating the coming of the Lord should be a major part of our motivation. Community is what the church should be. Our love for each other should characterize our relationship with each other. And a heavenly connection is crucial for any church. We have to be people of prayer if we're going to experience the power of God working. We're glad you joined us for this week's message on Crosswalk. Pastor Clay is the author of the book, I Get It, Discovering How to Really Live in the Promises of God. My prayer is that God would use it to help some people understand a few things about what it really takes to live in the promises of God. God wants you to live a life of peace and purpose and meaning and hope and fulfillment and contentment. He wants you to live a life without fear and without anxiety. Many people at some point in their life feel disconnected with the type of life and faith they read about in the Bible and what their lives look like on a daily basis. What is it that we're missing? What is it that we're not getting. If I'm not really living in the promises of God, why is that? That's what this book explores. I Get It is available online in electronic versions for the Nook and Kindle, as well as paperback from Amazon.com. And ask for it by name at your favorite local bookstore. You can go in bookstores and just say, hey, uh, have you got a book in here uh, entitled I Get It from Clay Stevens? They can order this book out of their catalogs that they get. Get your copy today. Discover the promises of God and the steps you need to take to get it. And join us here each week online for another Crosswalk message. God has invited us to know Him through His Word, the Bible, a perfect record of God's revelation to man and applicable for every area of our lives. And if you're in the Raleigh area, we invite you to be a part of cross-culture worship. We meet at 1030 every Sunday morning at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. We're a church, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. Our desire is to be used by God to show people that a life built on the finished work of Christ on the cross is where they will find what they're searching for. Learn more about us, who we are, what we're about, what we do, and what we believe. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed. I want to lead you to the cross. Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.